Welcome to the Powerlifting Podcast. The podcast where we interview top experts, coaches, lifters, and interesting people involved in the sport of powerlifting. With your host, Robert King. Robert is an international lifter and coach. Ladies and gentlemen, the bar is loaded! This episode of the Powerlifting Podcast brought to you by Squats and Science, a place where people can come together to make you stronger. You can check them out at www.squatsandscience.com and on their Instagram at Squats and Science. As well, this episode of the podcast brought to you by Strong Arm Sports. If it's powerlifting, we got it. You can check them out at www.strongarmsports.com and on Instagram at Strong Arm Sports. Mike's been a friend of mine for years. He runs a great business. He's a great guy. Highly recommend you check it out. As well, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by womenwhopowerlift.com. Womenwhopowerlift.com is a free group that I created for women all over the world who are interested in powerlifting. If you are a competitor or thinking about competing or just like to lift some heavy weights, womenwhopowerlift.com is a great site for you to go. Join our group. It's free and interact with strong women all over the world. As well, if you're interested in sponsoring this podcast or have any suggestions, you can always reach out to us through social media at any of our channels or send us an email at powerliftingpodcast at gmail.com. Hello, strong friends, and welcome to the Powerlifting Podcast, where we interview top experts, coaches, lifters, and interesting people involved in the sport of powerlifting. On this episode of the Powerlifting Podcast, we chat with Arian Kamishi. Arian is a USA Powerlifting Senior International Coach and Head Coach for the U.S. Raw National Team. He's also been Assistant Coach to several national teams and is the active member of the USA Powerlifting Coaching Committee, Co-State Chairman of Florida, and also Athletes Representative. Additionally, he is an International Two-Category Referee, Competitor, and Meet Director. I've known Arian for a while now. Between the international scene of traveling around many meets and seeing him, he's always busy, he's always working hard, he's always hustling, he's always doing a ton for the sport of powerlifting and the people involved. It was uh, it was great to actually sit down and chat with this guy because I knew he was involved in a lot of things and I just didn't know exactly how much. And uh, this has been a great interview and a great conversation with Arian, who does so much for the sport. Have a listen, enjoy, and if you like this episode, Please feel free to comment, like, share, all that stuff, and let Arian know. Okay, let's get going. Okay, it's Rob King here with the Powerlifting Podcast on this episode today. I have a man that wears many hats in powerlifting. Uh, when I first got into powerlifting, I didn't know who this guy was. I was like, he does a lot of stuff. He's always all over the place. Arian, how you doing, man? Can you hear me? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. It's a pleasure. Um, so for anybody listening, this is like a pretty uh, impromptu one. We saw the news came out yesterday about the uh, USA powerlifting pulling out of basically bench worlds and then classic worlds. I saw it come out. I saw it on Instagram and stuff. So first thing I did was message Ari and it was like, hey, man, let's chat. Like if you got time. So he really took this on short notice. So I just want to say thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Cool, man. How are things going? Uh, good. Just, uh, you know, all the meets have been shut down for about two months now. So I've just been hanging around home, trying to do whatever work I can do from home. 
Um, obviously, we're staying on top of everything for that national team. And then, yeah, as you said yesterday, um, we found out there's going to be no national team. Yeah, it's crazy, hey? Um, so, like, how can I say this? Um, I, I, like, when did this official decision come down? Was this, like, yesterday, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, so they were thinking about it already in, in advance. Um, the university worlds, the IPF canceled that one, so we already knew about that team. Um, but then, more recently, USAPL has been surveying um, different groups to see what to do going forward. So one of the things was to survey all the team coaches from all different worlds and then have them also pass it down to their assistant coaches to see who actually wants to travel um, and what would it require as far as a change in what's going on for you to be willing to travel um, because they don't want to have to force a head coach to have to go to somewhere they don't want to go or or maybe have to take time off work when they're just coming back to work and all that stuff. So they were looking into it and then the executive committee discussed it and voted on it. And then yeah, yesterday they official for um, the bench worlds, the classic powerlifting worlds, and then the masters worlds. Yeah, I, was, I, knew, I, I saw for the masters one because I was keeping an eye out for it in bench worlds. And then when I messaged you on classic worlds and stuff, and you were the head coach for classic worlds, correct? Yes. Which is going to be in Belarus. So yeah, that's a, it's a big decision by USA Powerlifting. I'm sure uh, it's probably not going to be the only country that's going to be doing that, hey? Yeah, the, the one that I've, I've seen someone send me a letter for was that uh, British Powerlifting had already told um, their members that they're not sending a team unless something very drastically changes between now and when those competitions come up. So they were like kind of like the first ones I'd heard about. But I've heard, yeah, other countries that are thinking about it or may do um, may have already done it quietly. Um, I've heard like maybe Italy, Ireland, New Zealand uh, might be doing the same. And then obviously talking to some of my Canadian friends, they said maybe the CPU will have to do the same. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what goes on with the CPU and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm kind of figuring that they're going to follow suit probably anytime soon. I mean, that's kind of like, it seems to be the trend anyway. It's a strange time for powerlifting. Hey, yeah, it, it's really weird just like thinking about it yesterday, seeing everyone post up like, hey, I'm disappointed going to Worlds. And I was like, it, it may not even be a factor of like what USAPL did because like the meet might just get canceled anyways. If, if enough countries don't go or if the country itself can't host it, IPF might think it's not worth it and cancel it. But then I was thinking like yeah, in the history books, like that year for meet results for World Championships is going to be no world champion. It's just going to be empty. It's just going to be like little lines for the whole year for every single competition, right? Unless yeah. you decide to have the competition in like, like four countries that like aren't popular show up and then wait to go, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it's, just, it's the same for other sports that may have been like in the middle of their season, um, like the NBA here in the U.S. And it's like, okay, now you're not going to have a, uh, a, world, uh, a world title on the line or anything. That season's just going to be empty. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, you know, it's one thing from speaking from like CPU powerlifting and stuff like that. I mean, you know, we, we have a fairly big powerlifting community in, in Canada, but uh, U.S. powerlifting is monstrous. I mean, it is huge. So, I mean, this has got to throw a big monkey wrench into the gears for you guys in many regards in terms of like, uh, you know, nationals, uh, upcoming teams. Like, how does this kind of change everything for you guys so far? Yeah, I mean, as far as like going forward with teams for next year, um, it all depends on if things kind of go smoothly for the U.S. reopening and the meets running or if like those are going to start having issues too. Um, because if our raw nationals in October in Florida happens, then you kind of just restart for next year. Whoever wins nationals gets the invite to Worlds next year. And if everything goes well, then you go to Worlds next year. But then like, it's like what happens if now nationals gets canceled? Well, then how do you select your team? Do you pick like 
last year's team again, or do you just go by the best total across any meet, even if it's a local meet? Um, so those are some of the things that, that may come up. Like um, recently, they just canceled our, our high school nationals, which is supposed to be next month. Um, so now they might not be able to pick a sub-junior team from that high school meet because it's no longer there. Crazy. And you, and you said it's in, it's in Florida, which is good because Florida, is, for now anyway, seems to be kind of opening up, seems to be pretty good from what I'm reading and what I'm hearing and stuff. So, I mean, at least that's a good thing. But, I mean, who knows what could happen, hey? Yeah, I mean, um, as far as like Florida down where I am and down in Miami had like the majority of the cases. Um, so they opened those counties, those areas a little bit later. They opened up the rest of Florida first. Um, but now as far as Monday, my, my city has been opening up again. So yeah, we'll see what happens if the cases start going up. Um, but yeah, so far Florida's been open. You can travel to Florida. You don't have to do the 14-day the quarantine. So if things continue to trend well, then we should be able to host the championship. And then it just depends on who's been able to train and who can afford to come and compete. I've been uh, paying a little bit of attention to like U.S. politics and just seeing what's going on and stuff. And it's crazy the difference from state to state, hey? Like in Canada, like Newfoundland has a very low, but we're still being treated the same as like, say, Quebec, which is, you know, really high, but it's, it's almost the same. But the U.S. is just kind of like, <laughs> hey, let's see what's going to happen in this state. You know, it's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we had different issues going on in, in different states. And then within the state, you have different areas. So like I said, for my county was about one third of the entire state's cases. And then my county and the county above me were about 50% of the entire state's cases. So that's why they opened up the rest first and then let us kind of wait a little bit longer and then now opening us up. So yeah, it's like every area is a different situation depending on who is in charge and how they want to do it. Um, but you still have all this traveling that can happen between the states. So like, yeah, now it's like, let's see what happens. If some states are open, some states are closed, people start going across borders. Uh, what's going what's gonna to happen if there's like a, a second wave, as they say? Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, we don't really kind of know what's going to happen. We're just going to have to sit back and be smart and take it in and just kind of see where things go. But from, uh, from our little world of powerlifting, it's, it's a strange kind of different thing now, you know, when there's no international competitions going on, no small competitions going on, no travel, no anything like, I mean, I, I see you at a lot of competitions, you know, we bump into each other a couple of times a year and uh, always on the go. And now it's like, Hey man, <laughs> how's life? You know, through Zoom because we just haven't seen each other and stuff. It's very strange times for powerlifting. Yeah, and for like the other people like me who do a lot of different things in powerlifting, it's like a yeah, it's like a complete halt because now I don't have any meets to go to to like referee or or meet direct or anything like that. I also coach almost everyone completely online. So if they don't have access to a gym, then I'm not coaching them anymore. So like the time I'm spending doing online coaching is very drastically dropped. Um, so it's just like, yeah, I'm just sitting at home, coaching a few people, not going to any meets, not traveling around to any countries, not seeing any of those people. And so yeah, it's, like a, it's like a complete stop to my life. Different, different times, man. Um, on that too, I love seeing the, I've told you this, I think in, when I messaged you before, love seeing like the home workouts, man. Love seeing the, the rack set up in like, like in, your, in your bedroom, putting in the work, doing, doing work. I love it, man. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I got the rack uh, and the weights towards the end of last year as like a, a couple of different perspectives is like one, I can use it to run meets because sometimes I have to use the gym's equipment or maybe um, borrow equipment for someone and have to pay them. So if I have the equipment myself, then I can just use it that way. Another can be like, yeah, now it's a lot easier for me to just shoot videos at home 
for my online clients to show them like, hey, this is how I want you to do this movement or this is how you can set up for this. And then, yeah, it just happens to be now too that all the gyms are closed and stuff. So now I can just work out in my bedroom. It's crazy. Eh? Life and training in gyms and stuff are probably never going to be the same. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this. Um, so let's like kind of like touch on something you just said. So you, you are a USA coach. Um, are you also involved with the U.S. Association as well? Have you been like currently involved in the association or just from the coaching perspective? Yeah, so for, for those who don't know, the U.S. affiliate is USA Powerlifting, USAPL. And yeah, I have a, a lot of different positions in there. Um, so I am one of the national team coaches. There's about 10 to 12 of us for all the different world championships. But also for Florida, I am a co-state chair with uh, Robert Keller, who's been running Florida for a couple of decades now. Um, I'm also a athlete representative. So we have five different athlete representatives that get a vote at our yearly meeting. So I've been doing that for a few years. My term is actually up this year. Um, being a national team coach, you're also part of the coaching committee. So I'm a committee member in that aspect um, and also a referee. So in 2018 in Calgary at Worlds, I actually got my category two um, certification there. So yeah, a lot of different things that, uh, that I do uh, within the organization and also for my business. That's awesome, Matt. Like I, I knew you wore a lot of hats um, in powerlifting. I just didn't know the degree of how many because every time I've seen you at a meet, you're doing like so many multiple things. I mean, I've seen you, it's like coaching. I've seen you on the scoring table. I've seen you setting up. I've seen you just doing so much. Um, and there's a lot of stuff goes, goes on behind powerlifting more than the person coming up to lift, you know, when the bar is loaded. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on into that and, and people like you behind making that happen. It's really cool to see how much stuff you do, man. Yeah, and the... The other part of it where you see me often that I know a lot of U.S. lifters don't know about and maybe Canadians don't know either is we have the regional federation, NAPF, which is North American Powerlifting Federation. So we're all part of that, that regional championship. So that's oftentimes where you see me. And so for a few years now, I've been the scoring manager for the regional championships. And most recently, I took over as the treasurer um, for, the, for the executive committee. So, yeah, then that's why you also see me at those competitions helping to set up and, and doing the scoring and getting all the paperwork ready for the referees and doing the awards during the banquet, all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. And you got that position. Um, that was awarded to you in Costa Rica, wasn't it? Or was it in uh, Panama? It was one of them you were there and I remember seeing you, Robert, present that to you. Do you remember which one it was? Yeah. I mean, it was like, um, unfortunately our previous treasurer uh, passed away to, due to health issues. So I kind of took in, took the position immediately. Like um, when that happened, um, and then I believe it was in Costa Rica at the yearly meeting where he just kind of presented it and said, if there's anyone else that wants to run for the position, we can do um, uh, voting for it. But if not, then I would just take over. And no one really wanted the position. So I, I've just taken over it now. That's awesome, man. Um, any updates on you on the NAPF? So any word on those meets at all? Or are they kind of still up in the air for things? Anything? Obviously, you know, if you, don't, if you can't say, it's totally fine. But like... A lot of people asking about NAPFs and still kind of like don't know what's going on with them either. Yeah, obviously everything is still up in the air, but the, the plan right now is obviously the three lift, the powerlifting championship can't happen um, in August when it was supposed to. So what we're doing is we're moving that to November and combining it with the bench press championship. So now it'll just be one competition. That way it's easier to schedule and it's easier all the referees and everyone just comes in one time and, and it's just going to be in Cayman Island. So we, uh, took the, pe the bench press from um, Costa Rica, moved it over to Cayman Islands, and we'll just do one week 
Um, we haven't built the schedule or anything yet, but we're going to try and do the first two days will be the bench press championship and then a banquet. Hopefully we can fit in there and then four days for the powerlifting championship and then the banquet at the end. And then everyone can go home. Uh, some of that obviously is dependent on what happens as far as the, the cases going up or down or different travel advisories for different countries. And as of right now, Cayman's, Cayman Islands is shut down, but they're hoping to open back up soon. Hope it goes ahead. Um, I've been to many NAPF meets and they are great meet, great time, great people, uh, wonderful organization. And every time I've gone to one, I've always had a good experience. So hopefully this will, this will go ahead and stuff and it'll just make it that much sweeter if it does. So we can kind of like fingers crossed and hope for the best. Hey? Yeah. I know a lot of people are, as far as lifters are hoping for it. One, cause maybe they can't go to worlds. Um, if their team is not going to, not going to be allowed to go, um, to it, a lot of people like Cayman Islands as an, as a destination over some of these other locations. Uh, and three could be the, yeah, the chance to like set world records. If you kind of miss that opportunity, maybe you're aging out of the juniors. It's kind of like your last chance. So we're kind of hoping that like, okay, this competition happens and that can set those records. And it should be interesting too, just from, um, the camaraderie of, yeah, seeing everyone after so many months away from each other and seeing the bench press and the powerlifting group now together. That would be a crazy, uh, crazy week of lifting and experience and just fun. It's going to be like, I kind of keep wondering what it's going to be like when we get backstage and like, is everybody going to be like back slapping and like chalk on, or is everybody going to be like, afraid to like touch each other and be like, because you know, life life is going to be a little changed after this for a while. People are going to be a little different. They're going to be a little distant depending, but uh, it'll be very exciting when we're able to get back to that. So how did you get all of your start in this? Like what got you into like powerlifting? What got you involved into uh, coaching, refing? Like where did you come from? Like what's your, you so much. It's like I started in all this. Yeah, I mean, I've been into uh, lifting weights, just like general lifting um, for a long time from like the summer that I was going into high school, kind of went with my cousin to the gym to kind of, you know, you want to get more in shape and be bigger and stuff for, for school. Then it kind of transitioned into, oh, I want to lift weights to kind of get uh, uh, stronger and faster for sports, for basketball, football, that kind of stuff. And I had heard about powerlifting and seeing strongman on ESPN and stuff, but never thought about competing. Once I got to university, there was a weightlifting club there, and I became part of the weightlifting club. And one of the people that was getting his PhD there, uh, Dr. Mike Zordos, he knew Matt and Susie uh, Gary from up in Maryland. They have a gym there, and he's originally from Maryland. And they were heavily involved in USA Powerlifting and told him about it. Hey, you should have your team go do a USAPL meet down in Florida. So we looked into it, and we got funding from the school, and we all just signed up for the competition and did our first competition. So that's kind of just how I did it was basically we were like, okay, we're going to do this competition. I didn't know anything about um, anything about equipment or what different levels or who was competing or anything like that. You just bought a single and you went and did it. Um, and, and that was back in 2011. And since then, I've just been getting more and more evol- uh, involved each year. So then I became uh, coaching my buddies when they were competing and then they would coach me when I was competing. And so I got more into coaching that way. Then I obviously looked into becoming a referee in 2013. I took our, our state level exam and just got more involved, took the coaching course exam, uh, the certification that USAPL has, looked into directing meets. And next thing you know, I'm just doing all these different things now. Yeah, it's crazy. You're like, like I said, you've got your hands in, the, in, in a lot of things going on in powerlifting. It's really cool to see because every, like, every time you do something different in powerlifting too, I think it gives you a very different perspective on powerlifting. 
uh, you know, like you said, refereeing. If you have no idea about refereeing and you're just a lifter, then you just think that like the referees are there's just there for you for your lift. But like there's such a big component to lifting, there to, to refereeing, there's such a big component to being a coach. There's so many different aspects of the sport besides the person going up to the to the platform. Um, do you have like a preference? Is there anything like you like? Do you love coaching? Do you love refing? Do you love both of it? Like, is there any way that you kind of like go for what is your favorite or just enjoy it all? Uh, I mean, I would say my uh, lifting is probably uh, on the lower end just because I was never a good lifter. So while it was fun competing with my friends and maybe like competing against someone who's like similar strength level as me, uh, I was never that good. So I wasn't like breaking any records or going to any big meets. So that won't be on the bottom. The other <laughs> ones are, yeah, are, are kind of all mixed together. I would say coaching is the highest because at least I can like coach someone to their potential that is at a higher level than me. And maybe like, live through their achievements um and then below that i think some of the things i like to do as far as like a referee or meet director or spot and loader is try and do things the way I, I think they should be done or doing things like the right way like if i see like a spotter loader screw up it kind of makes me want to be like okay i want to be a spotter for that important session to make sure for that lifter things go well yeah i mean and how many meets are you involved in running in the run of a year as well you run a couple of meets i believe like yes. Yeah so, yeah. so for me personally, where I'm, I'm signing the contract to be the meet director, I'm only doing about two or three a year. So I typically do one down in a gym of, down here in South Florida every year. And I do one in our gym up in New York city every year. And then every once in a while I have an extra one there. If like someone at a gym just wants me to help them out, uh, run it. Uh, all the other ones are basically someone else is the meet director. I'm just assisting them in setting up or whatever they, they need of me. Um, but it's not actually my name on there. I'm not responsible if uh, they lose money or anything like that. Um, so you'll see me at a lot of meets and helping out. Uh, but personally, I just run those two or three a year. Gotcha. That's, I mean, I've ran a couple of small meets at, at my gym and stuff. And, you know, they're, they're a lot of work, man. There's so much work that goes into a meet, like the, the iceberg effect of like, there's so many things that go on. And then once it gets going, it's like, okay, let's go. Uh, what's like, what's, what's some of the biggest meets that you've been involved in, like in terms of numbers wise, probably U S nationals for being involved in that. Would that be the biggest? Yeah. As far as uh, me directing it myself, the biggest I've done is just a one platform two days. And we had about 120 lifters sign up and just under that end up competing. But yeah. Helping out other people. Um, obviously I've helped out at some bigger competitions like, the, the NAPF championships we talked about where we get a couple hundred lifters. Uh, also, as far as just like the level, Robert Kelly's run uh, national championships and world championships in Orlando. So I've helped him out. Yeah. When he ran the raw nationals and he had over a thousand lifters and when he ran open worlds and sub junior and junior worlds where he had a couple hundred lifters from all these different countries. That's crazy. I remember when I was in, um, I was in Orlando for NAPFs and, uh, just kind of like pretty new to, to things and stuff. And I talked to Robert there and basically said, you know, what, what a great meet you run. You know, it's, it's been an incredible event and stuff, you know, a lot of, a lot of competitors. And he was, he was like, this isn't a lot of competitors. He's like, we got, we got USA nationals next week. And I was like, Oh, you know, kind of green. I was like, how many do you have for that? And he said something like over a thousand or something. And I was like, what? like, that's just, it is crazy how big it has grown down there. Hey. Yeah. And then now it's become also where, the collegiate nationals used to only be equipped and now they've also added the raw. Um, and so now you're getting a lot more lifters into that one. So that one's going over a thousand lifters. Um, now high school nationals also has 
Um, a lot of lifters coming into it. So high school nationals has anywhere between 400 and, and 600 lifters. So now we've got like these multiple mega meets throughout the year. It's, it's wild to see. And like I've been to a good few international events and stuff. And, it's, um, you know, Team USA, they, they don't mess around, right? They always have a strong team. They always have a, a pretty full team. You know, I mean, it shows that you guys are, are doing big things in powerlifting. Like I can't remember. There's only been a couple of meets where you guys have not shown up with a full team. Like and a very dominant team, which is you know, as a coach, I'm always watching. And Team USA is one of the teams I'm always watching. I'm like, what are they, what are they doing? What are those coaches up to over there? What's going on? Like, you guys, you guys run a tight ship, man. You know? Yeah, especially trying to develop it over the years um, as the championships have gotten bigger, especially the, the raw side. So I remember Classic Worlds in 2014 was in South Africa. That's the first one I went to, and I helped out with that team as a personal coach for a few lifters, and I ended up helping out some other lifters. But on that team, we only had one sub-junior male lifter from U.S. Uh, he ended up getting, like, second place in his weight class, but based on his body weight, he ended up winning best lifter. So it's like we had the best lifter of all the sub-juniors, but it was the only person we brought from the U.S. But it's crazy to see from that in 2014 to just a few years later, we were sending a full team every year in 2016, 17, 18, 19. That was in, uh, in Africa when we were all outside warming up in tents, right? Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think Africa was, I thought it's Africa. You think it's going to be warm. And I remember like going out, like doing my warm up after, after dying, making weigh-ins and being like, motherfucker, it's fucking freezing here. <laughs> like, it was tent set up and like literally the water was like flowing down from this thing and it had frozen. And I was like, man, I was not expecting this. Right. You know? Yeah. It was definitely an interesting experience for my, my first world championship. And I, I haven't traveled internationally too much. So it was kind of early on of my internationally traveling. And to, yeah, to go to like a hotel where they're still using a physical key, they don't have like the key cards. So it's me and my, my one buddy was competing and we had to share the one key back and forth each night to make sure like we didn't lock each other out and stuff. And then, yeah, you're trying to go from the hotel to the venue and there's like just a pool right in the middle, like no safety or anything like protecting, you just fall in. And then of course you yeah, have the tented warm up room and you don't realize in the Southern hemisphere, it's winter down there. <laughs> very, very different completely, right? Um, Let's talk about like um, athlete development. So, like you said, in 2014 uh, in Africa, you guys didn't have a didn't have many people for junior, sub junior, and now it's you know off the charts in terms of the number of competitors. Is this like something that you guys like uh, intentionally try to do in terms of like growing the sport and growing youth, getting youth into the sport, or is it just kind of like been something that like the sport's kind of just taken off and you guys are just seeing it kind of roll with it that way? Yeah, I'd say it's definitely a, a combination of the two. Um, certain states have different powerlifting programs that are well-developed. Um, for example, for high school powerlifting, Texas is huge and Wisconsin is huge. Louisiana and Mississippi have pretty big um, organizations as well versus some other states like Florida. For us, we have very little uh, high school powerlifting, uh, but we've been trying to develop it by uh, offering more championships and letting people know, hey, you can compete in this if you're a high school kid, if you're a college kid. Uh, USAPL has also now put in the the youth categories. So from eight to 13 now, you can be competing as a youth lifter versus at the IPF, you have to be that 14 and up. So that kind of gets people in earlier, especially maybe powerlifters that have kids that fall into that category. They're more likely to then put their kids in um, and, and develop them uh, before they get to that sub-junior age division. So it's eight to 13. So it's basically like a youth division. Is that what it's called, I guess? Yeah, so we have youth one, which is eight and nine year olds, youth two, which is 10 and 11 year olds, and then youth three, which is our 12 and 13 year olds. That's really cool to see. Like, that's, I mean, uh, you know, we both love the sport, and the sport brings a lot more 
um, to your life than just getting stronger. You know, I think it, it develops, you know, discipline, confidence, uh, just makes you feel fantastic. And for, for kids at that age, it's, it's a great thing to see. I know when I had some kids at my uh, school and stuff here that were training and, you know, they were like 11, 12 and they couldn't compete. They were, because that's the that's 13 years for the IPF or whatever, but it's good to see that you guys are ahead of the curve on that and starting to develop that and kind of like grooming kids to come into it. It's, it's a great sport in that way, you know? Yeah, and they have the lighter weight class divisions for them. So it, it can go all the way down to like 30 kilos so that they don't have to all be grouped into the, the 43s or the 47s or whatever weight class together. So they have a lighter weight classes. And also we do allow for local competitions and for the youth nationals a 15 kilo bar and also bumper plates to get it to the right height for deadlift. That way they're not trying to pull it from very low from the ground. That's really cool, man. My first experience uh, ever seeing like a, a quote unquote kid lift, I think I was, I competed at Raw Nationals uh, back in 2014, 2015, somewhere around there in the Raw Federation. I, I was pretty green to the sport and didn't know, uh, you know, the difference between like Raw and like IPF. I was like, no, nah, it's just lifting. I didn't know. And anyway, at the competition, Renee Witzani's uh, young girl was competing and I think she was probably like five. And it was just the coolest thing to watch, man. It was just so cool to see kids like, lifting and getting into it and they, they they absolutely loved it it was a really cool thing to see right i think uh, yeah. canada needs to kind of like get on board with that a little bit because our our, jo our junior and sub junior is not nearly as developed as as what you guys are so it's something i think it's really important in many ways right yeah and um de depending on the state different state chairs and different meet directors will do different things to help develop it within their state so they might have like a high school only local meet a university only local meet um, they might have a rookie meet that's all for like people who have been competing for one year or less. So they don't feel as kind of like freaking out or whatever about going to a competition and losing to someone by 300 pounds, or they feel like they're not experienced enough. Um, it's more of a beginner meet that kind of gets everyone in and they kind of go more slowly with the lifters and have referees kind of guide them along the way. So they have a, a good time and it's a sec successful time. So they're more likely to stick with it long-term. It's really cool. When I was in, um, involved a little tiny, tiny bit with weightlifting and they had like uh, what they call LTA, which is long-term athlete development. So they basically want to, they know the future of the sport is going to be getting kids in when they're young, teaching them the skills and getting them because it's going to be hard to take somebody at 19 and get them to learn the same things as if they're like 12 or 13. You're just going to catch on and, and adapt and develop so much better when you're young. And then you put good coaching on top of that and it's a whole different thing altogether, right? It's good to see that you guys are doing that, man. Um, what, like what are your plans now for the rest of the year do you have like anything in mind you just kind of like sitting tight getting the home workouts in seeing what's going to happen like any anything kind of like on the horizon interesting for you or just low-key and see what happens i mean the as of now the first meet that might be back for me would be um there's a meet in florida july 5th um which we are getting some entries for so if that one is good to go as far as everything with the guidelines everything that we can actually run a competition That'll be my first meet back. Uh, but from August to December, it's going to be hectic because everyone's postponing their events into that area. They're all postponing into the end of the year. So um, as long as everything is uh, continuing to go down and things are looking good, those meets will run. So it's just going to be like nonstop going from this local meet to this national meet to going to North American Championship back to this national meet. Um, so it's going to be pretty hectic at the end of the year. So it'll be like you and like um... – you know, Mike and Gino and all these guys who are like probably bored for the last couple of months and all of a sudden everything is going to like hit you and you're going to have to do like 12 months of work in like three months, right? 
Yeah, Gino's definitely bored, stuck at home. He calls me up all the time, like saying, "Hey, what's the update on the Florida meet? What's what's going on with uh, this meet? You think you think nationals is gonna happen?" And he's like telling me his schedule. And I'm like, he's gonna be bouncing from like east coast of the U.S. to west coast of the U.S. back home, back to the east coast for nationals, and then he's gonna try and go to like Ireland and Austria and all these other places. Man, I actually I text him. I texted him a couple of days ago and he got back to me today. I was like, when are you going to get on the show? Right. He's like, next week, let's do it. So I look forward to chatting with him. But like, it's really different, man. When you go from like, cause like powerlifting, like you can kind of like, you can, you can not be a social person, but once you get in the sport of powerlifting, it can kind of like make you social in that, in that sport and in that circle. And like, like Gino is like, you know, all over the place and the most social person ever. And then for this to happen. And then all of a sudden, like you can't go out, can't travel, can't do anything. It's a complete change of pace for life in so many ways. You know, how have you found it for you? Cause you're a pretty social guy. You're on the go a lot. Like, did you find it difficult the last couple of months kind of being on lockdown, not being able to do your thing? Uh, I wouldn't say it's, it's too difficult. Cause yeah, while I do go to a, a lot of competitions and like very sociable with the people at the competitions, when I'm not at competitions, I'm basically at home and just working through email on USAPL stuff and my online coaching. So now it's just like an extended version of just that kind of working from home and not going to the meets. So while it is like a little bit unusual that I don't have any meets for maybe three, four, maybe even more months, um, at least I still get to talk to everyone online, still get to coach some people. Uh, and I've just been trying to work on, on other things. It's like, well, now that I'm home, I can focus on maybe like, cooking more and spending less money eating out and also like eating healthier food and my weight down a little bit. Cause when you're traveling all the time, you're just spending so much money on, on like junk food and airport food and all that kind of stuff like that. And just putting on a bunch of weight. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like when you're on the go and it's, it's hard, right? Like, you know, when you're, when you're nonstop and you're just kind of like, you got, you got a very busy job to do and you've got a lot of stuff to get done. Like it's just easy. Like every time I've, talk to you you're like you're working and eating half the time at the same time right i think it was like costa rica and you were like oh the score or whatever else and i remember a couple of times and you're like feed me a couple of chips have a little chip and get back and doing stuff but like it's gonna be hard for you guys man you do a lot of work when it comes to those competitions right yeah i mean it's it's crazy when the, the event is all day and like i wake up early to get ready for wayne so it might be like five or six a.m and when i wake up i'm not really necessarily hungry at five in the morning uh and maybe sometimes the hotel doesn't have the breakfast ready so yeah, then maybe I don't eat until noon or one o'clock and then the meat director has like pizza for lunch. So then I'm just pounding down tons of pizza to get ready for the next session. That's crazy, man. Love to see if we can get like a big mic down, like get him down to like the 120s or something. We'll see him at the next meet. We won't even know. Be like, who's that, who's that guy? It looks really familiar, right? Um, so let's like, uh, let's talk about like your coaching for a little bit. You, you coach a lot of co athletes online, I'm guessing and stuff like, tell me like some of the people you work with and like, you know, are they all over the world? Like, you know, tell me a little bit about your coaching program. Yeah, it's definitely majority of the U S but I've had some people from Canada and then every once in a while I'll get someone from Europe or, or maybe like, um, New Zealand or something like that. Um, but it's mostly uh U S and then mixed around throughout the country. So I'll have, decent amount in, in the Northeast, a few down here in Florida, some down uh, West coast in, in California. Some of the, the top people that I've had in the past are uh, one, a lifter from Florida. Her name is Natalie Trana. I used to coach her for uh, several years and she got second place at nationals in the 63 open behind Jen Thompson one year. And she competed in that NAPF championship that was in Orlando. And she got first place um, at that Pan American championship. Another one from Florida also was, Leanne Hewitt. So she was a high school lifter that started doing our local meets and really strong. Like we'd see her put in like 
a 400 plus squat opener in and we're like, this must be a mistake. And then we find out that it's not a mistake. She's just ridiculously strong. So end up coaching her and meeting up with her a lot in person. I'm getting her to go to nationals and worlds and she's won multiple classic worlds. She won a uh, sub junior equipped worlds um, and broken all kinds of records. Uh, the biggest one being that as a sub junior for deadlift, she broke the sub junior, the junior and the open uh, world record deadlift. Wow. Um, more, more recently, um, couple of my lifters uh, one is a, a guy down in florida he's the 66 kilo lifter in the open and so at that past few raw nationals one year he got fourth place one year he got third place and last year he got second place so he's done very well um at the arnold he broke the american record in the, the squat and the bench and the squat was actually unofficially over the, the world record and then the other one that people might know is uh, sarah brenner she's on instagram as sarah squats so she's a, uh, another big deadlifter, and she has the, the open world record deadlift now that she set at the uh, NAPF championship. Um, and then uh, she technically broke it at the Arnold, but as people know, that they kind of rejected those world records at the Arnold, so she didn't get that one. Um, so we'll have to try and break that again. Hopefully we can go to Cameron Islands and uh, bump that one up further. What happened uh, at the Arnold's? Like I'm, I'm fairly familiar with it. Some of our listeners and people watching may be familiar, may not. Uh, what, what, what took place at the Arnold this year and, and what went down? Yeah, I mean, obviously none of us are on the inside to know all the communication beforehand and during and after. So we may never know exactly what happened, but USAPL did send out an email to all the lifters that had broken world records and explained um, the four points that, that they were told that were issues. And then more recently, the IPF has put out on their website a little news post talking about kind of their side of it with a document of their emails uh, pinpointing everything in the rule book of why uh, it wasn't accepted. And the, the two main points that uh, both sides said was one that it wasn't sanctioned by the IPF and the rule book says that it has to be sanctioned by the IPF. Even if your regional federation for us NAPF sanctions it, they say the IPF still has to sanction it as well. Um, and the other thing saying that uh, some of the, the drug testing protocols weren't followed in that the drug testing was actually done fine at the meet, but the IPF wants to know about the competition and who's competing and all that stuff beforehand. So they know who is maybe in the registered testing pool, who they need to be out of meet competition tested um, to hit their whatever protocols that they need to hit for IOC and water, all that kind of stuff. So those were the, the two major things um, that there was, I guess, some kind of communication breakdown between the two groups and an IPF letter, they kind of say like, hopefully going forward, there can be more communication to kind of figure all this stuff out. Yeah. Cause the Arnold's is, I mean, it's a huge meet, right? It's, it's, a, it's a big meet. They, it's a, it's a very well-run meet and stuff. And it's got to be kind of shitty for the lifters when they didn't know this Gwyn, you know, set, set a world record or something. And then they don't have that. It's got to be, but I understand both sides of it, but it's still, a, it's pretty shitty, shitty deal in that way. Right. And it's funny enough because like, I think many times your Instagram has been like my version of like TMZ. So I'm like trying to figure out what's going on with powerlifting stuff. And it's got to be like, I'm just going to go over to Arian, check out, check out a story. Oh no, this is going on. <laughs> Literally, man. I'm like a little bit out of touch on things. Anytime I want to know what's going on, just head over to your Instagram. And I'm usually getting all the good updates, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't have that many followers. I'm not super popular on social media, but I feel like, yeah, a lot of people that do follow me, or the people that are like very heavily involved in USAPL, the IPF or anything like that. And so that stuff is relevant for them. So once it is public information, yeah, I kind of put out there like on my story, like, Hey, 
uh, Arnold World Records are gone, or hey, USA Fields not seeing a national team here, or, or hey, th- this yeah, this bit of news that you probably will w- like to know. Usually, every time I when I used to travel, I used to take like about twenty minutes, half an hour, and I would go through my phone and I would like delete off old pictures and just shit that I don't need and just kind of clean it out. And I'd definitely be like, Arian, that gotta go. <laughs> That's gotta go, right? It's just now you put out a lot of good information, man. Keeping people informed and between like your clients and then you know what's going on in the world of powerlifting, you, you do a good job of that, man. Like it's, it's important, you know. So, um, you ever going to compete again? Um, so I, I guess there's a couple of different ways of, of looking at it. So I still do some competition the last couple of years, 2019, 2018, I just did bench nationals and I did it, um, in the equip division, mostly because that's just the easiest meet that I can kind of fit in the schedule and I don't have to worry as much about training for it. Cause it's just one lift versus all three. Um, and I just kind of like do it, do it for fun, make sure I get one meet in, um, and you don't have to, um, hit a specific qualifying total. You just have to have done a meet. So that one's easier. But as far as like really like preparing and training for a competition and, and like having goals going in or maybe even doing a three lift, I, I don't know when that will happen, if it will happen, just because there's always another meet that I have to be at and it's hard to train when you're traveling um, and hard to be motivated also when you're traveling all the time. I mean, like I said, I've never been that competitive. So to the goal to set would kind of be like, okay, let me maybe get back to my best raw numbers from 2015. But that would take a while to kind of build back up to that. I think it needs, it needs to be like a, um, like a pay-per-view thing. Like, you know how they've got like um, Eddie Hall and Thor kind of like boxing. They need to have like a meet where like you and Gino compete and it'd be like, <laughs> you guys are on the platform. It'd just be a good time, man. Be a good laugh, right? Yeah. I mean, some people have definitely tried to convince Gino to uh, do a competition. They're like, Hey, we'll, we'll buy your singlet or we'll, we'll, we'll not charge you an entry fee. Just come do it to try and get him to do it. Like at least bench only. Um, but yeah, he's a similar thing. Is like he's always at some meet and he's always he's always working. He's always announcing, and even sometimes he's actually refereed to some sessions because he is a referee as well. Uh, so yeah, there's like never any free time for him. But yeah, I, I thought that might be an interesting idea. I know some other federations will do kind of like at least a session before the meet actually starts, where it's like coaches only, so we can run like a coaches only championship where all us our coaches come in and and maybe we'll get our lifters to handle us and see what it's like to be on the other side. Man, it is like uh, for anybody listening and stuff, if you are a coach or you've coached at a higher level or whatever else, man, doing both is fucking hard, man. It's hard when you got to coach and compete and stuff, especially when, like you said, when it's just, it's integrated together and, you know, there's no separate little event set up for you as a coach that you can go lift and you got to kind of do it. It's, it's really, it's really hard, man. Like it's really brutal. You guys should like put that in and have like a little, little coaches, coaches and like referee thing can do like a little special session at competitions instead of having to compete with everybody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like kind of when I stopped doing both at the same meet was actually when uh, NAPF was in Moose Jaw in 2015. So I got on that team as a competitor and I was also an assistant for big Mike. So I coached a little bit in the days leading up. And then the day that I was competing, the morning session I took off and then I competed in the afternoon session and for squats, I was fine. And then bench, I kind of started feeling tired and I ended up going only like two and a half kilo jumps from my attempts just to get three benches in. And then like deadlift, I started really feeling worse because one of the hardest parts of coaching is like all the unloading and loading of the weights, especially for deadlift, it kind of like hits your lower back a lot. So then I got to deadlift and I just really started feeling fatigue and I missed my second and third deadlift. And that was the first time I ever had missed a second attempt deadlift. So at that point, I kind of like was like, Man, if I'm really focused on coaching athletes at a competition, I, I can't be 
like trying to hit uh, goals as myself as a competitor too. I can maybe compete and just pull out my numbers down on purpose, knowing I'm not going to like be a hundred percent. But then it's like kind of like, what's the point? So that's when I kind of separated the two. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, as a coach to be a good coach and stuff, the athletes that you are coaching and the people you are helping have to come first. And like lifting is a very selfish sport, you know, when you're competing and uh, getting to whatever level and as you get higher, it becomes more and more and more consuming and selfish. And, you know, most good lifters are focused on themselves very often, but when you're a coach, you can't have that mindset as a coach. You've got to be focused on, you know, the person in front of you. And then when you're coaching at like the international level and you have so many lifters and it's hard, right? Like what's the most lifters you've probably done in, uh, in a, in like a week or in a competition that you've coached? Um, we're looking at the, the national team before I was the, the, the coach for the open age division. I was three years, the coach for the sub juniors and juniors. And some of the hardest sessions for us were always at raw world. They would put all the sub junior women in one session and on two platforms. So we had eight, eight of our women going on at the same time on two platforms. And sometimes they were able to bring their coach, but sometimes their coach couldn't afford to come. And so they would just come by themselves. And so we all had to like kind of figure out, okay, who's going to be in charge of this platform? Who's going to be in charge of this platform? Who's going to be warming them up and kind of get through eight lifters in one session. And then the other one is now that raw nationals becoming so many lifters and you have five platforms going on at the same time often is yeah. Like sometimes I might have four lifters on five different platforms going on at the same time in the same session. You have to kind of run back and forth for everything. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, that's hard enough in itself. It's very uh, exhausting and challenging mentally and stuff. And then like trying on top of that, if you're, if you're thinking about competing or whatever else, and that's just, it, it's brutally hard. Right. And I mean, most people, if you're a coach, you get it, but if you're not a coach, it's hard, man. It's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing gig, but like, but like you said, between, you know, if you're changing plates and if you're trying to read your athletes and if you're trying to read numbers and you try to read the competitors, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. I mean, you've got multiple people you're handling. It gets pretty crazy, hey? Yeah, I think that's what a lot of the uh, top lifters are starting to realize too as they're getting maybe more involved with coaching and then their lifters are also coming to the same competition as them. Is yeah, it's, it's very physical demanding with the loading the weights, being on your feet all day. You can't get your uh, nutrition and your water down right for the entire day because you just don't have the time. Uh, it's probably more miserable if you happen to be water loading at the same time you have to keep going to the bathroom and then yeah it's like mentally stressful too like preparing all the plans studying the competition picking the right attempt in the moment um obviously all the highs of when you make attempts and all the lows when you miss attempts um so i think some of these uh top level athletes are are realizing it and they're prioritizing um, each position much better so if they're competing at nationals and they're really trying to win then they may tell their lifters for the previous day and a day of like hey i can't coach you um, we have to find someone else to handle you the day of. Um, and even just like uh, online coaching too. I know Bryce Lewis, I believe was going into his first world championship. He really decreased the number of his clients that he was coaching and passed them to his um, other coaches that work for the strength athlete. So that he can really just put his, his mind and his time and his effort into his training and preparing for that championship and not trying to kind of stay on top of 40, 50 lifters. Yeah, it's got. It's just got to be too much, right? And like, especially like you know, the higher levels you get and stuff, you can just see that like, you know, they're professionals, right? You know, they're they're there to work, they're there to, to do their job at the best of their ability and stuff. And the last thing you're going to want is probably dealing with other stresses that are going to take away from your lifting when that's that's your shot. This is what you put in. 
I mean, one thing about like the coaching side of things is like I said earlier, I've always watched Team USA is that you guys always, for the most part, from what I've seen anyway, at least always work really good as a team. Like you guys have a, a good, uh, a good structure, like good communication. You know, I'm, I'm always watching Team USA and you guys always work very well in terms of like your leadership and your roles of like what's going on. You guys do a good job at that. Yeah, I mean, we, we try, especially whatever preparation we can do beforehand and the emails leading up. Um, for some of our teams, like our open team, a lot of times it's the same lifters um, every year. So they're used to it. They know what IPF meets like. They know what international travel is like. They know kind of what the, the traveling and the time zone change might affect them. Um, they know all the ins and outs, so you don't have to worry about them as much. But for the newer lifters, it might be their first time at an international meet. It might be their first time traveling internationally. It's like getting out as much information ahead of time, preparing them, saying like, you're going to be affected by the time zone. You're going to be affected by the food difference. You're going to be affected by all these other little things that are going to happen at a championship. Maybe the referees judge things differently. And so you need to be prepared to make adjustments um, with, with everything. Even things like um, people that cut, cut water and they come to a, a competition or they come to the venue and they realize that there's, there's no like bathtub, there's no maybe sauna or maybe the sauna only has certain times for men and certain times for women. And, and they can't do the same thing that they, they can in the States. Yeah, it's completely different. Hey? And like the more you can prepare your athletes and the more knowledge you can kind of give them and have them ready, hopefully then they'll do better. I remember in Africa uh, when I showed up and travel and you know, I had a little bit of wine in the plane, probably shouldn't have had that wine and get to Africa and check my weight. And I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, okay. <laughs> I got like two and a half, three kilos to go. This is like on a Friday at midnight when we got in lifting Monday morning and in the hotel and like the shower would give out 10 minutes of hot water at most. And then would go cold and I would not get more hot water for like another 45 minutes to an hour. And then the room also did not have any, any heat. So it was like, go in the bathroom, like sweat like crazy. And then like the hot, as soon as the hot water went cold, go hop in the bed, shiver and try to get out as much of like this. But as an athlete and stuff, I mean, you just gotta, with good coaching and good help, it's just going to be dealing with stuff and adapting and overcoming and making the best of it. Right. You know, but some crazy things that you've probably seen any, any crazy, uh, uh, let's say coaching or like cutting or like any crazy stories you've seen in the competition uh, uh, of all the stuff you've done. Yeah. I mean, of course we had the, uh, the story for anyone who listens to the King of the Lift podcast with uh, Ryan Lapidat. We told a story of um, the one kid, Cole Metz, um, our 59 kilo lifter who was overweight. And so he, he was at the venue already and all they had was a shower in the locker room. So you had to just turn it on really hot and just sit there in the shower, let it hit you, make you sweat it out kept doing that, kept trying to check his weight. He couldn't, he couldn't make weight. And finally what I had to do is cut uh, uh, his excess hair with scissors to get him down that like 0.1 kilograms to get him down to weight. Um, but uh, another interesting story, since you mentioned the, the shower thing was uh, we had a lifter in Finland um, who needed to cut weight. And I guess they didn't realize that like, Hey, you get to Finland, it's all standing showers. There was no bathtubs in the hotel. Um, a lot of people realized they might not have like Epsom salts or anything like that, that they might use. So what he tried to do was basically like use towels to like clog the drain in the shower and towels to like clog the, the bottom of the uh, doorway so that like none of the, the steam will go out. And then he just turned his uh, bathroom into like his own little steam room. He just turned on as high as he could and just like stayed in there um, and like kind of like flooded his uh, bathroom. It's like powerlifting hotboxing, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Did it work for him? Unfortunately for that lifter, it did not work for him. Um, he also tried to go to the, the sauna at one point and the sauna had certain times for the hotel that are men and for women. So he stayed in there until the time for the men were up. So then he got kicked out 
and he had his track uniform on and he jogged like the one mile to the venue to sweat more and everything like that. And after all that, he, he unfortunately still missed weight. And uh-huh. for those that, for those that don't know, if you compete at a world championship and you don't make weight, you don't get to compete. Yeah. And that's like, you know, it's like kind of like a shot to the country of like, you didn't make weight, you know, and like at that level and stuff, it's, it's, it's never fun, but that's kind of like your job as an athlete is to make weight and, and do that. Right. And like I said, a lot of times when you've coached people and stuff, the people who have been to a world championships five or six, seven times are usually pretty easy to handle, pretty not too bad. It's probably the person that like has never competed at like a high level event before. And they're like scared shitless and green are the ones you got to kind of like watch a little bit more. You know, <laughs> you just don't know what's going to happen sometimes. Right. Yeah. They're, they're either scared shitless or maybe they, they're, uh, if they're very like relaxed and stuff, they think like, no, those things will ever happen to me. Oh, the time zone won't, won't affect me. Like, Oh no, the, uh, the sun never going down and it won't, won't affect me. Um, and then they start running into issues. They get to the airport and maybe their luggage is lost or we've had people that like didn't make it onto the shuttle. And we're trying to like find out where, where in this town they are and stuff like that. Um, so you get those people that like, uh, they, they think like everything, uh, everything is not going to happen to them. And then eventually it does, and then all that's going to go upstream to the coaches of like, <laughs> what happened? You know, why didn't so-and-so show up? Were you not paying attention? Right? Like, uh, but yeah, everything's going to fall back on that. Right. Um, in closing, anything you want to add, man, anything you want to say, like anything that you want to kind of throw out there to anybody that's watching, listening, any words of advice, any, anything? Um, I mean, we mentioned some stuff about perspective. So what I say is like kind of, when these uh, organizations are making decisions, whether to run these meets or not, or send a team or not, I know a lot of people think um, think always the opposite. So if you kind of make the decision early, they can say, oh, you, you cut the team too early, like you guys are dumb. Or if you do it too late, like, oh, why did you guys wait so long? Everyone trained for this and planning for it. Um, but a lot of these decisions, like we said, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and it's hard to predict things that are several months out. So they have to make a decision right now. They're the ones who are making the decision. It's easy for us to kind of sit back and just like judge whatever decision they make, regardless of what the decision is. Um, but we're not actually the ones that have to be on the line to do it. Um, so I see a lot of people already complaining about USAPL pulling off out these teams, but I can totally see it the other way that if they had kept them and said, okay, we're sending a team to Belarus, people would be complaining about that too. Yeah. And like, you know, you're never going to please everybody. There's always going to be opposite sides. There's always going to be perspectives. And that's just sometimes if you're involved in the sport, you got to see the bigger picture and, and understand the team's decisions, you know? Yeah. And then just going off of that as well for the people where it actually affects them, both the, the lifters that were going to go to worlds and for example, the lifters that Arnold, who got like the world records taken away, including one of them was, was my lifter again, comes to perspective and, and how you frame what happened and how you go forward. So if you always try and like, play the victim and complain and be like, Oh man, they screwed me over and this or that. Then you're just going to have that kind of like negative mentality all the time. You're going to feel like crap and like you might be demotivated. You might not want to compete anymore. Uh, but the way you should try and do it is just, just still trying to have be optimistic that things are going to be better going forward and you'll get another chance to that world record. Um, you get another chance to go to worlds, hopefully make that team again, uh, win your world title and stuff like that. So just got to stay positive and, and, try and get whatever training you can get in um, and just continue on. And hopefully things will go as close to normal as possible um, sometime soon. Awesome, man. 
Um, thank you for sharing. Thank you for chatting, man. It's been, it's been, a, it's been an awesome one. Uh, you bring a lot of knowledge. You bring a lot of experience um, and a lot of perspective, like we've discussed, to the, to the sport of powerlifting. And, you know, you probably don't hear it enough. But thanks, man. You know, I appreciate you having you on here. And I look forward, hopefully, maybe this year, we'll see how things go. Hopefully, our, uh, our paths will cross and we'll meet somewhere and catch up and have some fun and, and see some lifting and do our thing, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, hopefully, see you at the end of the end of this year. If not, then uh, next year. Awesome, man. It's been a pleasure. Uh, keep training, dude. I love seeing the updates and stuff like that. Keep posting out the TMZ updates. I'll keep looking for them for the people that I got to like pass on in my, uh, my network and stuff. Otherwise, man, it's been a good time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Powerlifting Podcast, and I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you did, please be sure to like, share, comment, and all of those wonderful things. If you want to find more information on the Powerlifting Podcast, you can check us out online at thepowerliftingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, and all of those other wonderful media sources. If you have any suggestions for us on who you would like to see on the show, you can send us a message, or you can also email us at powerliftingpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and thank you for your support.